Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. on a Monday. It is a beautiful day. I got to turn this down. I was watching a little bit of uh, World Cup. All right, let's get right into it. Huge weekend this past weekend, and I got stuff to say. I got a lot to say. I don't understand, and I'll never understand why we allow kids to be exploited. I'll never understand the world that we live in. Sexual exploitation of children by adults is the grossest thing that we have in our society. And we have a society of incredibly gross things. All of a sudden, it's okay, ladies and gentlemen. Think about this, to put ads. I'm not even going to show the ad. A company, well, for whatever the reason, um, a company called Balenciaga decided to put an ad out with a little girl holding a teddy bear in bondage clothes. And then they decided to put a bag on top of documents that was Ashcroft versus the Free Speech Coalition that said that actually, actually struck down kitty porn. This is a company that idiots like Kim Kardashian and others are associated with. This is a company that has said, well, we're really sorry. No, there's no really sorry. We understand what happened with this Balenciaga, whatever the hell this name of this company is. This company should be out of business. This company did this intentionally. This company, there is no apologizing for this. You don't put an ad out. Hell, we don't put an ad out on OutKick. We don't put an ad out on 1070 without talking about it, without having people look at it, without having people review it, and you're talking about an internationally company that idiots like Kim Kardashian actually support and are aligned with, putting out kids with a teddy bear in a bondage. Why do we sexually exploit kids? You know, you know the world is crap right now. We know this, but it's even more crap when you have a president that goes around sniffing little girls, you got companies that go around frickin' putting out teddy bears in bondage and then making damn sure that you can show the documents of a case that struck down kitty porn. What are they saying? Well, what they're saying is, we like kitty porn. Balenciaga. Show what Cooper Cup did. Cooper Cup at least stood up. You know what you're not going to see? And this is why I'm talking about it. Because you're not going to see any of your favorite TV shows talking about this. To try to be the voice for our children who rely on the protection of the men and women that are entrusting the responsibility of nurturing them and raising them. Please make yourself aware of the attack against our young ones by Balenciaga and ensure that they are held responsible. For those of us in positions to create change in a way that companies manipulate people or advertising evil... Please stand up. That's exactly what the hell this is. It is evil. We see it every day with these idiots bringing drag shows with men dressed as women flopping their boobs all over the place and kids learning how to tuck a buck. If this doesn't infuriate you, you're an idiot. And of course, Kim Kardashian gives like a seven thread thing about how she's looking into this and she's so happy that the company is taking this seriously. No, here's what you do. You're involved. 
as a pedophile, you're promoting pedophilia, you're promoting children porn, I'm done with you, and I'm suing you for even having my name attached to you. Now, I don't get it. I don't get the world we live in at all. I honestly don't. I don't say that as an old guy not figuring it out. I pay attention. But when we have drag shows show up at school and some idiot flopping around and kids tucking dollars in some freaking uh, drag show, drag queen, drag him, whatever the hell it is, uh, uh, underwear, that's crap. That's exploitation. And why do kids need to see that? Well, the diversity, shut up. And then the idiots, mom and dad, that bring their kids to it are dumber than the people putting it on or allowing it to be put on. But that's the society we live in. Thank God for people like Cooper Cup, because you know where you're not going to see it? NBC, CBS. You won't see it. You won't see it anywhere. Why? Don't know. I have no idea. You know, we've always been told there's an oligarchy in this country that supports this kind of thing. Let me go back to something. You want to talk oligarchy? Talk about the Lolita Express. You know what that is? That's the plane that freaking Jeffrey Epstein flew all of these celebrities to his island uh, where allegedly, or at least one woman went to jail for it, allegedly celebrities, politicians uh, had sex with underage girls. But the only person that went to jail is this Giselle Maxwell for trafficking girls. And guess what? Who did the trafficking with? Who did they traffic with? Who were the Johns? We don't know. But some woman who will, you know how this goes when you're involved with a Clinton, we all know how that's going to end for her like it did for Jeffrey Epstein. But let's be honest about stuff. Let's just be honest. Who went to the island to hang out with young girls? Why isn't that? Nobody? So she trafficked young girls, but nobody actually did the acts? Nobody actually, it's crap. And we sit here and we take it. And look, I understand this isn't the most popular show in the country. I understand that I don't have the reach of an NBC, but maybe, just maybe, somewhere, somehow, you start a little ball going and it puts pressure on these idiots at NBC, at CBS, at ABC, to actually get their heads out of their backside and say, wait a second, let's stop the exploitation of children. Why is that even an issue? Why are we even discussing this? Why aren't we telling the whole Kardashian family, kiss our backside, get the hell out of here, you're supporting freaking pedophilia. Why aren't we doing that? Why isn't there an insane outrage over this? Are we that lax as a country? Are we that ridiculous now? That we're afraid to offend pedophiles? That we're afraid to call out pedophilia? Are we that jackassed? Are we that stupid? Are we that up the you-know-what of the LGBTC whatever community it is? Well, if we are, screw it. I'm not. What a ridiculous thing. I'll tell you something else. I blame Steve Howe for this. Steve Howe was the first basketball or baseball or athlete that got a million chances. Now I'm changing the subject. I'm so tired of athletes being like a plight on our society, a blight on our society. Here goes another guy, Odell Beckham. It's like every week, some athlete's getting pulled off a plane. Some athlete's an idiot. Some athlete's going to tell us, you know, whatever. It's ridiculous. They have, and I blame Steve Howe, pitcher for the L.A. Dodgers. Dude got like eight chances. 
Dude got like eight chances. He kept doing drugs. He got eight chances. It's amazing what's going on in our country. We protect pedophiles and we worship dudes that act like complete idiots because they can throw a ball, catch a ball, pass a ball, eat a ball. Hell, I don't know. It's unbelievable. It really is. We got a guy, Alvin Kamara, beat the hell out of somebody in a nightclub. He out there playing. It don't matter. We're going to have the latest on this OBJ deal. We're going to have the latest uh, on this when we talk to Armando Sagara, who wanted chaos in the OBJ world. I got to tell you, when I get blanked off, and I'm so blanked off, God help us, and let me jump back to the pedophilia stuff. God help us if we don't protect kids. God help us if we're going to say it's okay. Honest to God, God help us if we're going to let this company just exist. Hell, I got, or they tried to cancel me for saying I wouldn't go in a pool, go at it in a pool with a woman that wasn't my wife. That was a big deal. National news. Some jag named uh, Dan Wolken. Big articles. Oh my God, three days in a row at the Indy Star. I bet you I don't see one thing at the Indy Star or any newspaper about this because for whatever the reason, the mainstream media protects pedophiles. Explain that to me. I'll sit here and wait. I swear to God, if you can explain to me why anybody in their right mind would protect a pedophile, I'll sit here and listen. Well, they're sick. Good. Get the hell out. Go to jail. Get help. Yeah, I don't care. When the hell are we going to say, let's protect children? You go, hey, all these different, Jasper, Indiana. Jasper freaking India. Hey, we got a drag show. Bring your kids. Really? That's what we want to bring our kids to? A drag show. You ever seen them? Spreading their legs, showing their ass. It's flopping all over the place. Yeah, bring your kids. Show them how to tuck a buck. Oh, it's inclusive. No, it's idiotic. It's literally among the stupidest things going on in our society right now. And I don't care who comes. What is a national drag show association going to come at me? Screw you. How about we sack the hell up and we defend children? How about we do that? How about athletes stop getting kicked off planes? Stop doing 18 different kinds. Stop telling it. Just, you know what? Be social activists. Be decent people, but damn, every time I turn around, I got a drag show in my face. I got an athlete acting like an idiot. The world is insane. Don't make me stay in my basement. <laughs> Man, this whole thing, it, it is truly amazing. I got, I, 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 I was watching, and I've been watching, and I don't see anything from anywhere about anybody being mad about a freaking drag show or a Freaking pedophilia uh, ad from this company. I don't make sure. I don't even care if I get it right. And thank God for Cooper Cup. You won't see any of these social justice warrior athletes step up. You won't see it. You won't see Kim Kardashian say, "Hey, uh, look, I know we made a lot of money together, and I know I got to show my ass and everything else to make money. I get it. That's what I do." But the truth of the matter is, uh, pedophilia is where I draw the line. Is that such a line? 
I mean, it, it, pedophilia is where I draw the line, huh, Kim Kardashian? I mean, you can't draw the line there and say, look, how much money is enough for doing what? Showing your ass and your tits? I mean, what are we doing? I mean, that's really, I mean, let's be honest. You show, you dress skimpy, you get naked when things go a little south, and the next thing you know, I know you're a brilliant businesswoman, but you can't say one time, hey, look, pedophile company, I'm out. You can't do that? God bless you. God bless you. What a low bar that is, right? Hey, look, pedophile company, I'm out. drive you freaking nuts. It will. It'll drive you nuts. Uh, anyway, so there you go. That's today. We're going to, we're going to, uh, for the next thing to be said. Well, you know, let, 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 let's hear from Kim, right? Let, let's hear from little Kim. Uh, you know, she is the voice of everything. A brilliant businesswoman. Sure. I've been quiet. I haven't, Not because I haven't been disgusted and outraged, because I want to take the opportunity to speak to their team and understand for myself how this can happen. As a mother of four, I'm shaking. Crap, you are. Here's what you say. Hey, look. Balenciaga. I'm out. I am totally out. She get mad over a MAGA hat that Kanye had. And now we're supposed to, well, you know, pedophilia? Hey, look, balancing, I'm out. God bless you. I'll go do my stuff somewhere else. I'm a brilliant businesswoman. I'm smart enough to know pedophilia is where I draw the freaking line. All right, my friend Armando Salguera, he wanted it. He got it. He wanted chaos when he came on the show. Nobody understands what's going on with OBJ and this entire deal. Uh, Armando. You asked for chaos, you got chaos. What's the latest here, big boy? Yeah, I got weirdoness is what I got, uh, Dan. So clearly the the Odell Beckham Jr. situation took a detour off the the normalcy highway into, you know, self-inflicted wounds. This is really what that is. It's self-inflicted wounds. Uh, And OBJ obviously is going to have some extra explaining to do when he meets with NFL teams starting this week, by the way, on Thursday with the New York Giants. If the conversation goes like this, my brother, Odell, how's your knee? Fine. Odell, what's your, what's, what's your problem falling asleep and not fastening your seatbelt on planes? Talk about weird, just weird. What do you believe happened here? I know what the lawyer, let's go through it. So the police, they didn't arrest him. They took him off the plane. They said that he wouldn't comply. They said he was in and out of consciousness. Here you see him leaving. Doesn't look in and out of consciousness there. Everybody had to get off the plane uh, because of this guy. And then the lawyers are saying, look, the dude was asleep. What do you think happened here? What are people saying happened here? All right, so I wasn't there, so I don't know exactly what happened, but it's you get three different parties saying three different things about the same thing. The police say that they responded to a call because a passenger was unresponsive. 
American Airlines says that he was taken off the plane because he was uncooperative. And his lawyer says that all of this is because he fell asleep. So that's three different ways of explaining the dude was asleep. They asked him. They tried to wake him. Apparently that didn't work. They tried. They asked him to put on his seatbelt. Apparently that didn't work. And he was saying, I'll put it on at the end of it all. It's not a problem. And by then it was too late. And I got to say this. Um, I understand the situation because I've seen it a million times. And I, you know, having traveled a million plus miles with various carriers and nearly 900,000 with American, they announce prior to departure if you're going to sleep, make sure that the flight attendant can see that you've buckled your seatbelt so we don't have to wake you. That announcement is seared in my memory because I've heard it a million times. And so I assume that Odell Beckham Jr., who's also flown a lot over his career, uh, he, he understands this. Uh, I don't know if it's a case of an NFL player or, or a, a guy that's made $80 million in his career feeling entitled or he was just really tired or the flight attendant being a jerk and having a bad day and, you know, just trying to, I don't know, exert power over somebody. I don't know what the truth is, but it just feels like this was a, an unintended consequence and a guy shooting himself in the foot at a time where it's not really in his benefit to shoot himself in the foot. Yeah, it, that's a great point. It is not in his benefit to shoot a guy in the foot because look, whether or not he's being coy and messing around with Dallas and New York and all, Hey, eventually if you want to play, you're going to have to sign until your point. Uh, you're going to have to answer for this. Do you think given all that, you know, the NFL's put up with a lot, right? I mean, Greg Hardy got to play. I mean, de- do you think this actually impacts a team desperate to sign a wide receiver? It gives pause, okay? Uh, does, it, does it give pause and then create a full stop? Probably not. But it gives pause because it tells you that or it reminds everyone that Odell Beckham Jr. is – of a character that sometimes does, um, you know, interesting things, does things that, that most people would say, why, why are you doing this? We have to remember, Dan, Odell Beckham Jr. signed a huge contract at the time with the New York Giants. And the following uh, off season, he gave an interview where he couldn't answer the question, are you happy being with the Giants? You just signed a huge contract with the Giants and you're not sure whether you're happy being with the Giants? Uh, that same, later that offseason, that same offseason, he kind of threw, you know, uh, Eli Manning under the bus. His quarterback, the quarterback of the team that he signed a huge contract with. So he ended up getting traded to the Cleveland Browns. 
And what happened there? Well, he and the quarterback didn't get along. So the the point that I'm making is it's it's behavior that really, I mean, Odell is not a bad guy, obviously. He's not, this isn't criminal activity, obviously. Uh, this isn't kind of stuff that uh, involves drugs or anything like that, I, I'm assuming. But it's just dumb stuff. It's stuff that is unnecessary for all parties involved. We're, here, all right, let's, let's fast forward. I think this, you tell me, I think maybe this is going to humble him a little bit and he's going to get a little urgency if he wants to get back and play. You know how you get humbled? Like, you know, you think you're doing really well with this girl or a girl with a guy, and all of a sudden she's like, yeah, I don't like you so much. Then you get a little sense of urgency. Do you think this gives him a little sense of urgency to get on a team and get going? Well, uh, he has a certain amount of urgency anyway because he does want to get on a team, but he's got a timetable in his fact. And to the point of him being humbled, you know the story of the scorpion and the frog? (laughs) I do. uh, I do. Okay. So uh, meet Odell Scorpion. He is who he is. And there may or may not have been moments in the past where he feels victimized and everyone feels he's a weirdo. And there will be going forward moments where he feels victimized and everyone will think, dude, you're a weirdo. Why why are you letting this happen? (laughs) So this is not a life changer, I don't believe. He believes he was unfairly asked to leave that plane, that flight, that moment. He believes himself the victim. He doesn't believe, and there is no taking accountability in any of the statements or on his social media that suggests, hey, maybe I should have just fastened, woken up and fastened my seatbelt. We're getting none of that. What we're getting is they're doing crazy things to me. They're at fault. I can't believe this is happening. I agree with that. Like, I, I, um, I saw, what did you think of his lawyer's statement? So basically his lawyer's statement is a recount of the story that Odell told him, uh, except it's, right. you know, obviously um, flowered, flowered up <laughs> and and made to look like my client is the victim of all of this and American Airlines bad and dumb and 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 not accommodating. And this could have been all resolved and flight attendant bad person. That's kind of what I'm, I'm look, like, I, I, I know two flight attendants, and I got to tell you, the last thing they ever want to do, at least I believe them, is have to deplane an entire plane of people in a busy airport. Like, I'm not saying that everybody's the same. I'm just telling you, you, you know, I don't, if I got to deplane an entire plane, that causes me a huge hassle. You see what I'm saying here? I, who knows what to believe? I guess we'll find out. But he he hasn't been charged, so this is pretty much the end of it, right? This is pretty much – well, it's the end of it from a legal standpoint, obviously, unless yeah. there's, like, 
a civil lawsuit because you remember he involved his lawyer and lawyers typically lawyer. That's what they get paid to do. <laughs> and I don't know if he's going to, you know, seek remedies from American Airlines. I, I that, That's going to be hard to prove. Yeah. What I'm shocked and stunned is that there should be uh, footage of this from inside the plane. I've been waiting for that to drop because typically what you see a lot is when there's unruliness inside a plane and it involves, you know, the crew and a passenger, what do other passengers typically often do immediately? They pop out their phones that are supposed to be turned off and and we get film, we get tape of what what was happening. So it suggests to me this, that this was so under undercover and so non-evasive um, to the environment that it really didn't rise to tensions and shouting and something that would get everybody's attention and therefore cause them to put their phones on, uh, on record. Who does he sign with, your best guess? I think he's going to sign with the Dallas Cowboys. And I think, um, you know, that probably doesn't make a lot of sense to me but it's probably going to make a lot of sense to him. The Cowboys have been the most aggressive team in trying to get him. The quarterback has called him. The owner has called him. The general manager has called him. It's, it, you know, they speak about him all the time. I'm kind of shocked that the Giants are interested, to be honest with you, because that's not their culture, uh, at least not their stated culture, and yet here we are with the Giants. Thanks, Armando. Thanks for hopping on, my friend. Anytime, Dan. Yeah, that's the great. There he is. He's the greatest. Armando Saguero. Right there for you, ladies and gentlemen, with the latest on Odell Beckham. You know him. You love him. You want more of him. And we're going to give you more of him. Mike Griffin coming up. Uh, Before we do, Monday Night Football tonight, the Colts taking on, baby, The Colts taking on the Steelers. Now, you got to understand one thing about the Colts. They never beat the Steelers. Like, never. They're going to beat them tonight, but they don't ever beat the Steelers. Like, the Steelers and the Ravens are both way too tough for the Colts. So when you're looking at this tonight, it would be – I don't care the line. I think the line is like three and a half I saw. I'll look it up during break. I don't care the line. The Colts never – are tough enough. Now, we all understand this is one of the worst Steeler teams that we're going to see, right? This team is bad. I told you before the season the Steelers were not making the playoffs, and that looks to be fairly accurate. Uh, however, however, the Colts are giving two and a half. There you go. That's how bad the Steelers are. Colts defense, pretty good. The over-under is under 40, which is very, very odd. I did want to get into some things, and we're going to have – got a ton of guests here, though. Uh, We're going to get into some NFL. We're going to get into Monday Night Football. Purdue, baby! The Boilermakers whooped up on Gonzaga, whooped up on Duke. There it is. See, that usually – that picture right there goes the other way. It's usually the Steelers knocking the living out of the Colts. See, if Jerome Bettis – 
Jerome Bettis fumbles. You remember the classic game the Steelers ended up winning going to the Super Bowl AFC championship game? A dude named Nick Harper for the Colts picked it up. And he couldn't beat Ben Roethlisberger. Do you know what happened the night before the game? Nick Harper's wife stabbed him in the thigh with some scissors in the kitchen. Colts fans blame Nick Harper's wife for not getting to the Super Bowl that particular year. But tonight, you got Monday Night Football. Last night, Tom Brady got beat. Tom Brady got beat, and I got to tell you, good for Jacoby Brissett. Jacoby Brissett's last game before he has to sit because serial grabby guy, Deshaun Watson, and his $235 million get to play last year. I love Jacoby Brissett. I've talked about Jacoby Brissett a lot. He was here in Indy. I'm a big fan. Michigan beats the hell out of Ohio State. I'm not putting Ohio State in. Look, they're probably going to get in because maybe TCU loses, maybe USC loses. I don't know this, but I watched the Michigan-Ohio State game, and then I watched USC, and it ain't close. USC better than both of those teams. I'm so tired of hearing about how great Ohio State is. The Urban Meyer effect. Here you go, real quick. Notre Dame, no good. Couldn't handle USC, really good. LSU, we told you, this is a tough situation. Texas A&M, well, they got to play for A bunch of kids are already leaving. But LSU, a lot of pub, man. Championship game on the horizon. Oh, of course, of course. Texas A&M's no good. Oregon gets beat after being up 27-7. to They get beat. And you see the Michigan-Ohio State. I got to tell you, I've watched enough SEC football this year to know that freaking Ohio State and Michigan, while good teams, could not win the SEC. They couldn't do it. There's no chance either of them could beat uh, Georgia. Maybe you can beat Georgia after you have, I don't know, seven, eight, nine, ten weeks off. But those two teams stunk. Stunk. All right, Mike Griffin's going to join us. Nobody knows Georgia better than him. Nobody knows the SEC. We're going to talk about this. Look, the Big Ten is so far behind the SEC. We'll get Mike's opinion when we come back. Man, I'm fired up. Sack the hell up and don't go anywhere. Don't at me. We'll be right back after this. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Hey, it was a monster weekend in college football, and he's been nice enough to join us every Monday, and it's been fantastic. At Mike Griffith, 32 of the Atlanta Constitution and the Dog Nation. Look, Mike, I want to get into something. You're a Michigan guy, Michigan State. I got to tell you, I'm watching the game. Ohio State, Michigan. And this is really the first year, I think, that I've really, really watched the SEC. Like, I always watch a game or two or four. But because of this show, I'm really on it. I don't think either of those teams can play in the SEC. I'm not saying they can't come in second, third, whatever. But, damn, that wasn't really that – wasn't, that wasn't great between those two. 
Well, I mean, there was a lot of offense, obviously, and those are schools that, you know, Michigan traditionally kind of been lacking offensively. They've done a, a great job this year. I think Michigan, when they played against Georgia last year uh, in the Orange Bowl, I thought they really got it handed to them, and I think they kind of found out where the bar was set. And I think that helped the Michigan program out. I think this is a better Michigan football team than we saw last year. Uh, obviously, they went into Columbus and they were able to take care of business against the Ohio State team that, you know, we all thought, okay, this Ohio State defense is better. This is what Ohio State needs. And, you know, Michigan ran roughshod over them. I mean, you saw Michigan outgain these guys on the ground, just ridiculous, 252 to, to 143 and turn the Buckeyes over, really dominate the second half of that game, outscoring them 28-3 to en route to that win. It's a really nice win for Michigan. A lot of momentum going into the postseason, and now Purdue doesn't look like much of a roadblock in the uh, Big Ten championship game in Indianapolis. I mean, I have seen strange things happen, but this Michigan team looks, looks legit to me, Dan. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. I want to go to Ohio State for a second because everybody said, well, Georgia and Ohio State are the two most talented teams. Did you – what do you think? Where do you put Ohio State? Are they in? Yeah, I, I, you know, I don't think so. No, I, I don't think they're in control of their destiny. I think if TCU and USC win, they're in. I mean, the, the conference championship committee puts a lot of emphasis on playing in championship games. And the fact that Ohio State is sitting out there with one loss and will not be playing on December 3rd, that's a big factor. If TCU takes care of business against Kansas State like we think they will down there in Arlington, Texas on Saturday, I think they're in. I think if USC beats Utah on Friday night, avenges that earlier season loss they had to the Utes, I think they're in as well. And then the question really is who's on the on-deck circle? Is it the one-loss Ohio State team that got blown out at home, or is it a two-loss Alabama that has two last-second losses, but also a couple of last-second wins? I mean, you look at it statistically, and, you know, Alabama and Ohio State both comparable when it comes to their offensive and defensive rankings. Alabama's slightly better overall schedule. Um, I think that'd be a tough call for the uh, championship committee, but I think they would probably lean towards Ohio State, and they can look at all the stats and numbers that they want. Bottom line, Dan, there's never been a two-loss team that's gotten into the college football playoff, and I think that might be the precedent that would lean Ohio State's way. Now, if you're asking me who I think the best team would be after those top four, I would actually give you Tennessee. How about that? Tennessee went out there and put it on Vanderbilt. Normally, that's just another day at the office. But this is a Vanderbilt team that has shown some respectability going in and beating Kentucky, handling Florida at home. And for Tennessee to go in there and just mow them down like they did, I like Tennessee. Actually, I think Tennessee is better than Ohio State and Michigan. If they played a three-team round, excuse me, Ohio State and Alabama, if they played a three-team round robin, I would take Tennessee. But I don't think they're going to get in. I think that loss at South Carolina is too much, even though it doesn't look quite as bad now that South Carolina has gone in and beat Clemson at Clemson. And that loss doesn't look quite as bad. But between the lopsided nature of that loss and losing Hendon Hooker, probably one of the finals for the Heisman Trophy, I think that's too much to overcome in the eyes of the committee. I think it's going to come down to Ohio State and Alabama, and I think they're going to lean Ohio State's way because of that one loss versus two loss, even though we just saw Ohio State get blown out. Now, that all could be moved. If USC and T TCU take care of business, they're in. And I think Michigan and Georgia, I think it's very – very unlikely either one of those teams were to lose, but I think they're in as well. 
I do too. I, I totally agree with that. You know, Ohio State, how much, how important are style points? And does anybody, let's take Alabama, let's take Tennessee, Ohio State, what'd they do? They beat Notre Dame at home, uh, first game of the year, last game of the year, they get blown out. Really didn't look very good over the last couple weeks. Does style points even matter for a team like Ohio State? Look, they're sitting there, one loss, USC loses, we're in, TCU loses, we're in. How important is it, style points? Well, style points do matter, and Ohio State's got a guy by the name of C.J. Stroud, and that's your style points. You've got a guy that's going to probably be the runner-up for the Heisman Trophy, even in defeat, had a relatively big day thrown on the football. He made some mistakes late, obviously, a couple of interceptions, but Ohio State has that star power. So when we talk about style points, what are we really talking about? Offensive rankings, defensive rankings. Well, I look at my numbers right here. Ohio State's number two in the nation in scoring. I see Ohio State number 13 in defense. Ohio State has style points. They have one really bad half of football against Michigan. And typically, that's enough to be the knockout blow. If Alabama was sitting there with one loss, if Tennessee was sitting there with one loss, either one of those teams would be above Ohio State. I just think those two losses – in the, in the history of never having a two-loss team. And they can say what they want. You know, back in 2018, Rob Mullins was the CFP chair, and he said two losses wouldn't have mattered for Georgia, and it came down to protocol and conference. Listen, I think it matters. I think the optics would be terrible if you took a two-loss SEC team over a one-loss Big Ten team. I don't think that's the statement that the committee is ready to make, even though I agree with you. I think Alabama or Tennessee would beat Ohio State head-to-head. But when you look at this on paper, when you look at what the teams have accomplished, Alabama lacks quality wins. Their best wins, Old Miss, Mississippi State, Texas. Nobody's getting excited. I know Notre Dame is a four-loss team, but there's still something to that. And Ohio State handled a Penn State team that only lost two games to Ohio State and Michigan. That's a quality win. Tennessee's got some quality wins. Tennessee beat Alabama. Tennessee beat LSU. But that loss to South Carolina is such an eyesore. And then I think the committee also takes into consideration that Hendon Hooker, their starting quarterback, their Heisman Trophy finalist, he's not there. Even though Milton looked great against Vanderbilt, and I would make the case that Tennessee is going to keep rocking and rolling with this guy, the committee is going to take a look at what they see on paper in front of them. And that's why I think they're going to go with Ohio State if if that even comes into uh, factoring in, I mean, you need you still need TCU or USC to lose, Dan, and I'm not so sure that's going to happen. I know a couple weeks ago I thought that would happen. I thought Clemson was going to you know win out and and take it in the back door there, be that, and then Clemson gets knocked off at home. So this is what's great about college football, and I know a lot of people are saying, "Man, I wish we had a 12 team playoff." Well, guess what, folks? You just had it. It was called November. Yes, that's right. I've said that forever. Like, in the NCAA tournament, people say, well, I want everybody in the NCAA basketball tournament. And I said, everybody is. It's called a conference tournament. You start your conference tournament, you don't lose, you go to the – you know what I mean? I I get it. All right, two things I got to get with you. Let's stay with USC real quick. Did Caleb Williams win the Heisman Saturday night? Well, more than likely. I mean, now there's a lot of recency bias with this award. And, and what happens on Friday night in Las Vegas when USC plays Utah is going to give him a chance to clinch it. You know, I'm going to give you another name. How about this Max Duggan guy at TCU? Look closer at this guy. Look a little bit closer at Duggan's numbers. I'm telling you, he's got, what, 29 touchdowns, three picks. He could slip in. Caleb Williams, without a doubt, 
is the front runner. What he did on national television against Notre Dame, that's going to be in everybody's mind. But if USC goes out and lays an egg, you can also lose the Heisman Trophy on that final Saturday. So much of this award comes down to what do you do on that final championship weekend. You know, that's why C.J. Stroud probably lost it. You know, I, I can't imagine him winning unless it's by default because Ohio State's not playing next weekend. We're all going to be watching Caleb Williams on Friday night. We're all going to be watching Max Duggan and TCU on Saturday. We're going to check those guys out. Hendon Hooker, the Tennessee quarterback, really unfortunate that he got injured. He's another guy that probably should be a finalist. I'm going to give you another guy that's not playing Saturday that people ought to consider voting for, and that's Michael Penix out there at Washington. This guy threw for over 4,000 yards in the Huskies. 10 wins with a first-year head coach, that had never been done. That's another one of those dark horse candidates on the fringe. I really like what Michael Penix did. But to your question, yes, this is Caleb Williams' Heisman Trophy, you know, to lock up, win. If he plays decent against Utah, I think he's the winner. If they win, he's the slam dunk winner. If he plays decent and they lose, I still think he's the winner because I think C.J. Stroud blew it in the second half against Michigan. Uh, Michael Penix is a shot to the heart as he was an Indiana player and kept getting hurt here. That's just a dagger right there, uh, right to the frickin' solar plexus. All right, I want to get to the matchup between LSU and Georgia, but first, Mike, I got to get your opinion. Michigan, after they win, they go to the midfield, they plant the flag. Where are you at with plant flagging or flag planting, I guess is what I'm saying, after wins? I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, how much risk do you want to take? I mean, I think you're asking for a bad situation when you do that. I mean, if a, if Ohio State guy would have charged him and tackled the guy, I don't know, maybe, you know, Michigan would have filed more assault charges or something. But to me, that's that, you know, if, if we're going to start policing these guys and we're going to say, look, you know, what happens in uniforms, not all good, you know, like the hockey fights. Just imagine if every time there was a hockey fight, there were charges. But, you know, there's always kind of been a kind of that unwritten thought that, well, they're in uniform. It's the heat of the moment. It's the heat of the battle. You know, but what happened in that Michigan tunnel with Michigan State? That, you know, we've all got to rethink this now. You know, this isn't boys being boys in uniforms. And, and that got out of hand. What Michigan State did was very wrong. But the fact that we're talking about criminal charges when players are fighting in uniform, this is a little bit different. Now, that was, again, an extreme example. But to me... If we're going to start policing at this level, I think that stuff's got to stop, Dan. I, I mean, I know people think it's fun and they're excited and they're in the moment, but you're really asking for it when you do that. This is an emotional football game. And again, I've made this comparison before, and I say this with all due respect to the veterans. I was fortunate to serve. I understand the difference, okay, between uh, being a soldier and, and being an athlete. But there's a lot of the same mentality that goes into this when it comes to fighting for your school colors, fighting for what you believe in, representing others, laying it all on the line and being emotional in the moment. And I think you're playing with fire when you do this. I don't like field storming either. I think we're in a day and age right now with some of the you know, extreme and random violence that we're seeing. I just don't think you want to put you know, 2,000 people in any packed in place any more than you have to when emotions are running high. I think this is something that's got to get reeled in, man. I don't like it. Mike, I got to tell you, I, I was shocked that nobody from Ohio State actually went in and started tackling or fighting. Or I, I was shocked. I really was. I, 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 I thought that somebody, you know, when I saw it, I kind of out of the corner of my eye I was doing something. I thought, wait, whoa, 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 this is going to get bad, R really bad. I, I, don't, I don't disagree with you at all. I, I think it's, uh, it's a recipe for complete and total disaster. 
And well, give, man, I hope yeah. I hope we get. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, give Ohio State credit. Give their players a credit for being disciplined and not doing that in the moment. And, and give C.J. Stroud credit for last year on the Heisman stage, taking a really bad, tasteless joke from Desmond Howard. Give him credit for not responding to that. But these are things from Michigan the last two years that I don't think are in good taste. I don't think this is how you want to represent a program that's got the tradition like Michigan. I don't think you need to be trash-talking somebody on the Heisman Trophy stage about a rivalry loss any more than you need to be planting a flag in their stadium. This is supposed to be a proud, respected tradition game, and I didn't see that. To me, that's small. I don't think you do that, Dan. I don't think that's good sportsmanship. I think if Jim Harbaugh is going to talk out of one side of his mouth about expectations, then he needs to have his players respond and act like they've been there. You don't see Georgia doing that. You don't see Kirby Smart doing that. You don't see former Georgia commentators trash-talking you know, uh, uh, Auburn or Alabama. You know, that does not happen. Okay, and and there's a reason it's called class. It's called knowing how to act like you've been there before. And Michigan needs to learn that this is a better football program than it was a year ago. This program has grown up. It's gotten better. It's reclaimed the robbery with Ohio State. Let's see what happens with Ryan Day. Maybe he's not the guy. This is a game he's supposed to win. We talk about the talent and the resources that the Buckeyes have. You are supposed to win that game. You are not supposed to look that poor against Michigan, and Ohio State did, and that's unfortunate. But on the flip side, Michigan's showing you they still need to grow up as a program with those sort of gestures. And I know their fans love it. Again, Dan, I get it. Their fans love it, but you can't have it both ways. I agree with that. All right. Uh, How does LSU compete in this game with Georgia? How do they hang around? Well, just like Kentucky and Georgia Tech have in the last two games against Georgia. You know, you don't beat yourself. You play physical defense, and LSU will do that. LSU has a very good front seven, and Georgia does not have a runner. And and, and I think Kenny McIntosh is fantastic. He's emerged. Uh, He had more total yards this last game than, than Georgia's seen out of a running back since DeAndre Swift in 2018. It's been a while since Georgia's had a first team all SEC back. Kenny probably won't get that honor because he didn't get the work. They like to rotate their backs. He's coming on really strong. But what Texas A&M did was impressive. They were at home. It's under the lights in the SEC. Dan, I know you said you just started watching it. You keep watching it. You'll see more of that stuff happen under the lights on the road in the SEC. This is that type of conference. We talk about the emotion and the pride. A&M had nothing left to play for but that. That saved a degree of respectability. They'd had an incredibly embarrassing season, but they rose to the occasion. They beat an LSU team that was not emotionally prepared, I don't think, for that moment, and maybe looking ahead. And what's worse for LSU now, Jaden Daniels, the extremely elusive Arizona State transfer quarterback. This guy is so gifted. He was the leading rusher of all the quarterbacks in the nation going into that game. He twists his ankle late. Now, he went back in. It's taped up. Didn't look like quite the same guy, but he was in a walking boot yesterday, Brian Kelly told us last night. And and Brian says, well, you know, we we think it's okay. It's not a high ankle. If this guy has lost one step, a half a step, it's going to cost him because this Georgia front seven, man, they swarm. Kirby's group really gets after you. They create a lot of habit. LSU hasn't done a lot throwing the ball downfield all year anyway. I think the going's going to be really rough now with if Jaden Daniels isn't 100%. This is a big factor. I kind of think it removes any chance of a potential upset because Georgia has not been playing great football 
truly since the first half of that Tennessee game. The second half, you know, they shut it off. They ran the ball 21 out of the last 25 plays. They kind of the defense was outstanding. But we haven't seen peak Georgia since that win over then number one uh, Tennessee. They kind of stumbled around a little bit at times against Mississippi State. Kentucky was a little bit closer. The wind was a factor. Kirby's not going to throw the ball. And then Georgia Tech came out there. Listen, Georgia Tech outgained Georgia in the first half. They're only down 10-7 at halftime. That was a real game effort by Brent Key. This guy did a remarkable job in an interim role. And, and there's reports now they're going to hire this Tulane guy. Yeah, he's 10-2 this year. He was 2-10 last year. But we, we won't get too sidetracked on Georgia Tech. But, man, what an opportunity they got with Brent Keene. I think they're going to miss it. But Georgia has not looked in peak form since that Tennessee game. Now, I think playing in Mercedes-Benz Stadium, playing in a game of this magnitude, having a chance to do something that last year's national championship did not. And, and that team did great last year. That was a super team, legendary defense, best scoring defense since 1986 Oklahoma in the regular season. And this team now can take a step that last year's Georgia team didn't. I don't think they're going to get let that get away. They're going to win this game. It might be ugly because Kirby's not going to throw the ball any more than he has to until Stetson Bennett can get dialed in again. That's been missing for a few games, and Georgia's going to have to find that before they play in that semifinal, regardless of whether it's USC or TCU they play in the semifinal in the Peach Bowl, presuming that they beat LSU, which I think they will. Georgia's going to have to find that pass game. Because once it's a four-team playoff, man, it's like a whole new season. Hey, uh, last, last thing before I let you go. I, I have not paid any attention to this. Uh, my buddy Tom Crean out. How's Georgia basketball done? They done anything so far? I mean, they've got a, a bunch of – they got, you know, nine new players and, you know, six transfers. And, you know, listen, Mike White, they're, they're winning with defense. They haven't played much of a schedule, Dan. They went to Wake Forest and, and uh, Steve Forbes, what a – Tremendous coach Steve Forbes is. I mean, you want to talk about a, a rising star. He's got Wake back on the map. You know, what do you have, 25, 26 wins last year. I mean, Forbes is really – now, they're in a rebuild. But still, that, that they took one on the chin there against Wake. They weren't ready for, for Wake Forest or Steve Forbes. You know, they got a kid named Cario Quindo who's got a lot of upside. He's kind of an explosive scorer, but he's not really consistent enough. Mike White recruits really good athletic teams. That's one consistent you saw at Florida. I know a lot of people down there at Florida, you know, were a little upset. Things kind of got away. You know, the Florida fans kind of turned on Mike White. His family started hearing things. and They needed to get out of there. You know, he took them to what? The NCAA tournament, I want to say, four or five times. You know, and then they missed the, the field. Uh, you know, they had the horrible tragedy, one of their players going down with a you know, heart con condition. That'll You know, obviously, you know what that can do to a program. I think that Mike is trying to get this program on track. It's going to take time, though. It's going to take time. The Georgia basketball culture, Dan, I got to tell you, man, Tom Crean took over the worst basketball culture I've ever seen at a Power 5 program. These kids just didn't seem to care. I'd go to the press conferences after games, and they'd be talking about just being happy to graduate and how many rings there are in an oak tree. I'm just thinking, what in the hell, man? You just lost by a point. Where's the emotion? Where's the tears? You know, going in those Izzo locker rooms for four years after those Spartan games, I mean, those guys were wearing it, man. They were feeling it. They had to live with that, not just with Tom, but the students, the expectations, the tradition that Michigan State has. Here at Georgia, it's like, okay, turn the, turn the TV on. The football guys are on right now. Basketball doesn't, didn't matter. I saw Bruce Pearl turn around Tennessee back in 2006. Nobody cared about Tennessee basketball when Bruce Pearl took that program over, and he made them care. Those players bought in, and what Bruce Pearl did 
really got Tennessee basketball rocking and rolling again. You see Rick Barnes. He's captured some of that. There's some good NIL money. There's some facilities there now because of Bruce Pearl and the late, great Pat Summit. You know, and Georgia needs to find somebody that can ignite the basketball program, Dan. But I'm just not sure that this culture is ready for that yet. You've got to care. You've got to want it. You've got to put money and resources into this. It's like Georgia baseball. You know, their facility, well, we're the Wrigley Field of the, that's a nice way of saying we ain't spending no money on the program. You know, you go to Mississippi (laughs) State, you know, you've got to put money, you've got to put your money where your mouth is. At the end of the day, we can talk about Mike White, or, or we can talk about, you know, this coach or that coach or what happened 100 years ago. But at the end of the day, Dan, you get what you pay for, man. I think Mike White could win if he gets good enough players. Seems like a good coach. They got okay players, maybe enough to get to the NIT. But just like Tom Crean, they weren't giving him – they didn't have the resources with Crean was here. He took – again, he took over Terra, and the mistake that he made – he kept a lot of those guys that were from the previous coaching administration, and those guys didn't care, man. If Crean could do it again, he probably should have got rid of those guys. That sounds so cold-hearted and so mean, but when you've got guys that don't know how to win and don't care enough to invest the extra time in the gym, that's what separates. you got to have guys that care, that are motivated. There's only a few of those diamonds out there. They're going to do it out of the goodness of the heart. We're in an era now where you got to go out and you got to show him the money. You pay him enough money, he'll put that time in the gym because he's one and done and he's on the NBA. And you got to have players. I don't care what coach you are, Dan. You got to have players. And if you're asking me about Mike White, I think he's a good coach. But if you're asking me, he's got players, I'd say not good enough. Certainly not like I see at Kentucky and Tennessee and Arkansas and Alabama. Auburn, too, Man. by the way. Bruce Pearl. What he's there done at Auburn. Oh, yes. I listen, listen, let me tell you about Auburn. Let me tell you about Auburn. When Bruce took that job, I, and, and I covered Bruce six years, I said, oh, man, he bit off more than he could chew this time. This time you really, you know, because Auburn's basketball arena, this is a true story. Their skyboxes are on the ground and face out. And you say, what do you mean? They're sky-? They were part of the deal of building the Auburn basketball arena was to build football tailgate boxes on the bottom floor. They don't have skyboxes at the top. They had to cut a deal to make this a quasi-football facility for the boosters to tailgate in on Saturdays with their skyboxes on the ground level. They did not care about basketball. And what Bruce has done there has been one of the most incredible jobs I have ever, like I would have never believed. I covered Auburn basketball in the 90s, Tommy Joe Eagles and, and, and Cliff Ellis. And it was nothing. I said, there's no way. He's made them care. Auburn's winning. Auburn is a basketball school right now. They certainly aren't a football school because they fumbled this hire. You know, they dodged a bull. I don't think Lane Kiffin would have been a good hire. Now you got Hugh Freeze and and, and now the you know baggage is rising. So can you hire him? And and who's out there? Meanwhile, Nebraska makes the automatic hire Matt Rule. This makes sense. Yeah, Matt Rule. He turns Temple around. He does a great job turning Baylor around. He goes to the league. He's got a little credibility because he's been. But Auburn doesn't even look like why this guy checks. Also, Nebraska's hired him. They'll put a boatload of money behind him. We'll see if Matt Rule can turn that program around. But now Auburn's looking around like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Who's left? What's left here? You, you know, Lane Kiffin. I'm not. I, again, I don't think that'd have been higher because of the level of scrutiny that he would have faced in the state of Alabama. Don't think Lane would have liked that too much. You know, and Hugh Freeze seemed like an automatic choice long ago. But the guy's lost like his last three games, 
and now there's some more baggage and you know some liberty investigation going you know this is coming to the surface so so auburn's kind of sitting here you know like you know wh which way do we go here what's what's left what is left on the landscape for auburn that's not going to have some degree of controversy or downside maybe maybe dan maybe they ought to hire bruce pearl to, co to coach their foot. I know Izzo talked about it at Michigan State at one junk. I'll tell you what, coaches can coach, man. You laugh, but coaches can coach. <laughs> Let them coach. Hey, I, hey, I'll tell you this. They'd be interesting and better. I, look, Mike, I appreciate hey, I'm high. Look, to me, I, and I could be wrong, there isn't anybody out there that's interesting other than Urban Meyer or Deion Sanders. You hire all these guys. I don't care about Matt Rule. I don't give a damn about uh, – Luke Fickle, good. Go, they got thick ankles in uh, Wisconsin. They're going to still have thick ankles in Wisconsin. I, I, if it ain't Urban or it ain't Dion, screw it. It's boring. Now, now it wait, doesn't I'm going to tell you opinion. now. I'm going to tell you now. This this Luke Fickle guy, this 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 guy's the real deal now. This guy is the real I know. deal. And, and I know, he's gonna, but he's you know going why he left? Thick ankle culture. NIL, though, Dan. NIL money. That's the only reason he, Cincinnati said it's the Big 12. The only reason Luke left is NIL money. He came to his senses. He looked at it. He said, man, as hard as I coach these guys, as much as I love these guys, there's going to be a ceiling if I don't have the money and the resources to compete. That's what it's all about. I mean, it's not like, you know, there's a salary cap in the NFL, though people found ways to skirt that as well. Plenty of history of that. But for the most part, they level the playing field, right? College sports isn't like that. There is no salary cap. There's haves and there's have-nots. And there's certain programs that can spend more than others. And at the end of the day, I don't care how good of a coach you are, you've got to have the resources to be able to sign these players. This is so simple. This is so obvious. And I know it doesn't go in line with the alums and, oh, they want to come to my school because we have better oak trees and sidewalks and tradition and a higher academic rating. <laughs> Get real, man. It's a free agency market right now. And that's why Luke Fickle left, I agree. and I think he's a fantastic coach. I do, too. I, I do, too. And I think he, he's smart. He went to the right division. I mean, let's be honest. If you're going to go <laughs> to a Power 5 division, go to that freaking division right there. And you're, you know, I, I don't disagree, but he's going to have to change how they're perceived. I got to run, Mike. Can't thank you enough, brother. I'll talk to you Monday. All right, man. He's so good. At Mike Griffith, 32. We come back. We got Jonathan Hutton, ladies and gentlemen. Let's talk. Let's continue to party. People are mad at me because I said plant flagging. It's a recipe for disaster. I'll be right back. That's it. I got to take a break. We'll be right back with more on Don't At Me across the Outkick Network. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer. With over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros, Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back. And their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. 
Angie makes the process seamless. From researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience, Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. All right, let's go. Let's go. Jonathan Hutton, Dan Dockett's right here for you. There's a whole lot of outkick going on right here. All right. <laughs> um, Titans get beat. Is this a moratorium on what Ryan Tannehill can and cannot do against good teams? No, not yet. We'll, we'll judge him in the in the postseason, okay. Dan. By the way, Dan, happy Thanksgiving to you. Hope hope all is well. Thank you, you um, too. Yes, sir. Yeah, look, this, this is a this is a good a good a good win for for Cincinnati more than anything. Uh, Joe, Joe Burrow said it. Good teams go on the road like that and they win sloppy games. And I, I thought the Bengals did that. Look, um, the the Titans are are generally very good in the red zone. They were not yesterday, and Cincinnati's defense did another good job against Derrick Henry. And while there there were at times I thought Tannehill was going to be able to to pick up the pace a bit, that didn't happen. And look, th- this is not a good Tennessee offense to begin with. It's not just on Ryan Tannehill, but the better quarterback won that game. Yes. Did uh, I thought one thing was pretty evident, and I thought this was really smart. And maybe this, I'm so simplistic, but I really thought that Cincinnati made a big time point of tackling Derrick Henry at his ankles. Like, I thought they did a great job of that. <clears throat> they did a great job with it. I, I agree. And look, they 27 uh, yard uh, touchdown pass, I believe, was to, to Higgins. But the defense won the game because they allowed just 38 yards rushing to Derrick Henry. And they held him to either zero or minus yards on carries on seven of those 17 carries in that game. And he has not reached uh, 100 yards rushing in his last three games against uh, the defenses he's been facing. I, I didn't think that the Titans made a, made a point to get Henry involved as much yesterday as what I would have expected. Um, and this is from the from the first quarter on. But Cincinnati's defense in their last three times against them have done a really nice job against the Titans' run game. And they're going to load the box. They're going to force everyone to, to throw against them over the top. And uh, Cincinnati's front does a really good job against the depleted Titans' offensive line. They, they did not have Ben Jones at center, and I thought that really hurt what the Titans have done uh, trying to get Henry established in the, in the ground and pound early on in these last couple of games we've missed. Um, moving forward, when you look at the AFC, um, what do you see? You know, we saw the Ravens get beat. Colts are playing the Steelers. We always got to talk about the Steelers, but they're not very good. What do you see yep. in here? It's the Chiefs and the Bills. I mean, that's in – in the AFC, I, I think that's still very top-heavy. I, I do like Cincy, though, Dan. Uh, the thing about Cincinnati, I, I think that the, their their schedule is going to be more uh, brutal than a lot of these teams. They've got, what, Kansas City coming up this week, Tampa Bay, New England, Buffalo. Meanwhile, Baltimore isn't playing a team with a winning record until they play Cincinnati in Week 18. So I think the Ravens end up winning the North, 
but I think the Bengals are actually the better team come playoff time, and that's the team I wouldn't want to face if I'm hosting a, a game, a wild card weekend, or the divisional weekend uh, the following week in the playoffs. I think Cincinnati's in the mix, but I still think it's Buffalo and then Kansas City up top because no one's beating Kansas City right now in the months of November, December. With the way they're moving the football, the fact they could still get Odell Beckham Jr. in the mix, and uh, the fact that you know their defense tends to play better as the year progresses. Do you think Odell Beckham's deal here this weekend influences whether or not he comes back? Well, let me back up. Influences teams? <clears throat> no. Is Deshaun Watson playing this week influenced by anything he did right. last two years? No. Right. Um, absolutely not. Right. If you can ball, if you can ball, you're going to play. The NFL is going to tell you that. Teams are going to sign you and they're going to pay you. So as long as you can play and produce, it doesn't matter what the hell you do off the field. I agree. I look. People say, "Well, you know, they're good. no." I I think that the NFL has always shown that. I think the NFL has been that. How good are the Jets? Are the Jets worthy of this of the of a discussion at this point? No, not what well, they're good. Uh they they feel a bit like in, before the playoffs here. They feel a bit like Cincinnati did a year ago, where I thought I thought I thought Cincy was a year ahead of where they should have been a year ago. The Jets to me seem like they're on the path to being good. They draft really well. I I do believe in Douglas and what they're doing in their front office. I like Robert Sala. I like LaFleur as offensive coordinator. I like the fact that they had the stones to make the change at quarterback, even though the quarterback was five and two since he uh, started with Wilson. Um, and you know they, they've got a, a, a situation now, Dan, where they don't really have a great quarterback, you know, and they their their best running backs on injured reserve. I think they're still building. I, I think they can play spoiler. I don't think they're a team that's making some type of run in the postseason, or uh, possibly if they get the seven seed. While I think they're a better team than Pittsburgh as a seven seed a year ago, I don't think they're a team quite like Cincy in my comparison here where they're actually going to go on the road and win some games because they lack the the superstar quarterback, even though Mike White's winning. He's not that guy. And at running back, the, I mean, they, they traded for Robinson. They had him inactive yesterday. So I, I don't like what they have, and it's not what they have currently. It's just who they have on the bench right now. Their starting quarterback and their best running back is is on injured reserve. So I like them, don't love them, but I'll, for the long haul, yeah, I'll buy in. Is Justin Herbert a real guy at quarterback? Uh, that's a great question because he, for the longest time, I mean, he it, it's it was yesterday was big for him going for two. I think there was a statement for not just for the coach but for him to win that game twenty five twenty four because he's not making big throws late in games this year. And he did then. He did yesterday. So, you know, now now it's time. Now's when the season really begins and you begin that long haul to the postseason climb. And they're a, a game above 500. And that's kind of where he's been. And it, it's time to take off. It's time to put up or shut up, really. And with, with him and Burrow, and you start looking around to all the other young quarterbacks, it's now it's Herbert's time to, to grab the brass ring because we've seen that, that Burrow has already done that. This, a lot of people have bought into the Chargers because of Justin Herbert. Herbert's still waiting to to prove some things to me, though, especially in these in these cold months, because this is the the, the playoff push, and 
even with the with, and he's had some guys injured. I get it. Uh, he had Keenan Allen back, so that was good to see. Mike Williams. He's got to get his whole arsenal back. But with Eckler, number one fantasy running back, I know that. I know a lot of people know that. Um, with Eckler in the mix and then with Herbert spinning the football, they should be winning more than what they are. They should be better than a game above 500. And and so far, that's that's the resume. It, it's time for him to stack on top of that. Let me ask you this from a – and I'm going to probably ask you this every week. But okay. in our mind at Indy, we're not necessarily – we know we're in purgatory here, right? We're uh, – we, we, we're, we're one enough to be out of the lottery or whatever you want to call it, not enough to get in the playoff. What does Jeff Saturday, in your mind, what does Jeff Saturday have to do other than win out to keep the job? Uh, I don't think he has to do anything else. Um, I, honestly, Dad, don't you think if Ursay wants him, he's going to hire him? I don't, I don't know. I kind of I don't think I he has to do. do. Yeah, I mean, I – you know, I I, comp- I think the last time I came on, I compared it to Malarkey here when Malarkey was the interim for Ken Wisenhunt. It was just a sense that you got that he was going to get the job. Um, I, I kind of get that feeling too. And the way the schedule stacks up for him, they have a Sunday night game coming up too, right? I think they do yeah. if they don't flex it. Yeah. So, I mean, they've got Monday night, then another primetime game. And, and they may flex it, they may not, who knows. But they've got... Defensively, they've held the Chiefs and the Eagles to their lowest outputs, I believe, of the season offensively. And you know now, now they've got the the Steelers, a, a very winnable game for the Colts. And the thing about Saturday that it's in his favor, I think he has a coaching staff that didn't mail it in, and rightfully so, they shouldn't have. And he's got a, a an offense now that's going to start playing hard, not just for him. But I think for Matt Ryan, as as things start to progress, they can actually be more of what they should have been, even though that doesn't mean they're necessarily better than where they were to begin the season. And at four or five and one, or whatever the record is right now, they're going to be in the mix of like the eight or nine seed for the AFC. And I mean, it's not out of the possibility they could back their way in. I'm not betting on that for the seven seed. But if they were to do that, they're, they're, he's, he's getting the job. And honestly, I kind of feel like he's getting it anyway right now. Yeah, I kind of do too. That's why I wanted to ask you because I, I don't know. I mean, the, you got, you're, he's going to have to go through all of the, um, the Rooney Rule stuff because obviously the yeah. people are looking into that. And, you know, I, I don't know how the NFL feels about it. But it is, it is fascinating. They're 4-6-1. and one. They – Chargers was a big win. Have you seen enough of the Steelers? Can you break down this game tonight? Well, they've given up a league-high 22 touchdown passes, and they (laughs) gave up four to the Bengals a week ago. So, um, you know, if we Matt Ryan, the game before the Tennessee game, he was spinning it pretty well. Uh, And he had that 400-yard passing game or whatever it was. If they could come out and start throwing it against the secondary, I think they can have some success uh, with with Pittman uh, and, and with others. Look, and and Kenny Pickett has thrown just one interception in his last three starts, so he's he's settled down to the Colts are known for producing turnovers, at least they were last year. And on on offense, Matt Ryan, I think in this game needs to be able to spin it a bit downfield to open up some things and run lanes for their r- r- rushing attack. I think that's the opposite of what their game plan's been the last two starts. 
uh, with with Jeff Saturday as head coach. But th- this is a defense that I, Matt Ryan's going to have to throw it. And if he can, I, I think Indy covers this in, in fairly easily. And if not, if, if they can't turn the football over, uh, talking about the Colts' defense, this is probably a low-scoring fourth-quarter game where Kenny Pickett has a drive for something that, that they win on a last-second field goal. I got to tell you, yesterday, and th- I get these feelings. You know, you probably do too. You, you're watching something, and you're like, huh, okay. It, it hits you. You know, something may hit you. It hit me yesterday. I honestly felt this way. I, I felt like Aaron Rodgers is disinterested and he's washed up. Now, that doesn't mean he won't come back somewhere else, but that's the feeling I got watching him. What would you get? I got the feeling we're about to see more Jordan Love. Um, yeah. Very odd the way he left the way he left that game. He had the oblique, and it's a legit injury, you know, the ribs. Um, but the way he left, they went for it. They were going to go for it on fourth down. Um, Rogers is in the game. They decide to kick it after the false start. So he comes over. Lafleur gives him like a high five or whatever, and there he goes into the tunnel. And I'm sitting there going, "Man, this is Jordan Love's opportunity now." And he came out at the drive. But granted, it was a short pass that turned into a long touchdown, 65 yards or whatever it was. Um, but at four and eight, they have to start looking around and thinking to themselves, "Okay, we we've got to figure out where the future's headed here." And uh, with Rodgers, I don't think Rodgers is just going to take a step back and allow Love to just take over. And he said as much last night in the postgame presser, he expects to play this coming week. But over the final three, four weeks of the season, yeah, I think it becomes a storyline. And until then, it's just kind of more the same. Where the Packers are going to be in it, they're not. Uh, Seesawing back and forth on the scoreboard, and they're not going to be in the mix of it for for the postseason by the time – December 10th rolls around, and they're not now. But I think by the time the second week of December gets here, I think we see more Jordan Love in the mix. I think you have to, don't you? I mean, don't you got to. I, I don't know. You drafted well, him high. It looks like the dude's uninterested. I, I would. Yeah, and you, you've got you to figure out. I mean, you've, you've got the, the fifth-year option for coming up. You know, uh, you, you've got – He's in going into year four, and you still don't really know what you have. And you have uh, Aaron Rodgers, a $50 million quarterback, who's probably done after this year in Green Bay. Uh, who knows where he'll be or if he's just, you know, going off into the sunset. But point being, like, they they, they invested in Rodgers, the two-time MVP, and I don't blame them for that. But at some point, they have to figure out if their investment in Jordan Love, who was, it was a bad selection at the time, they have to figure out if, if, if where they're headed down that path is the right one to take or if they need to figure out what they're going to do in the draft. So um, bad teams figure out how to stay bad, and most of the time it's because they don't really try new things in a situation where they have a chance to improve a bit or at least figure out what they have on the path to improvement. The Packers are there. They're not there often. And I, I would try to take advantage of, of some snaps here for love because they're not getting into the preseason – and they're not getting many in the regular season right now either until right now where they're out of it. I, I can't let you go without talking MVP. I, I got to tell you, man, last night, 157 yeah. yards for Hertz. They're 10-1. and one. <laughs> I got Hertz as my MVP. I don't know. What do you got? I mean, right now, he it's him. It's, it's Hertz, Tua, and Mahomes. 
Mahomes is still my MVP right now, Dan. Um, he, he's playing at such a high level week in and week out. Uh, it, it's it, He's on the top shelf. Tua, uh, what, what Tungvaloa has done when he's been in there uh, is unquestionably uh, MVP quality. But Hurts and, and the fact that he's been, he's been there for the, the long haul, hasn't missed a game yet, and he's uh, on top of the NFC, I would go Mahomes, Hurts, and Tua in that order. And then Allen is, is bringing up the rear. I, I, I like Hurts because even when they're not playing well offensively, which is the last two and a half games, really, I feel like he's played well in some clutch moments. And they've been turning the football over. They've been doing different things. When they need a drive, he goes and gets points. Uh, when they need a, a first down, he's able to find the sticks. Very self-aware. And I think he knows what his team needs in that given moment. Um, I, I think he's he, he's on top of a very talented offense. And so far, the, the two guys, have the, the prove it years for Hurts and Tua, those two guys right now are in the top three for the most valuable player in the NFL. I, I still, my vote would be for Mahomes, just based on the dominance week in and week out. But it's closer than I think many people think. And the Eagles, uh, with their little stretch run here, they've got the Titans coming up. They've got a, a run where they're they're in some marquee matchups. I think the Eagles, uh, with their overall play, can help Hurts ascend to the top of that as we go into December. I agree. I look. I, I hard for me to say no to Mahomes. Always is, but damn, Hurts is pretty good. <laughs> yeah, Appreciate man. you, man. What do you guys got on? What do you got on today? What do you got on three sixty? What are you doing? We got Barrett Salee. We're going to talk a lot of college football uh, discussion with him and fallout from the the top four college football playoff. What to expect now with all of the upsets and conference championship weekend. What's to come on uh, Outkick 360. We start at three o'clock Eastern. We'll be recapping all of college football and the NFL weekend. Hope you'll join us, Dan. I know you're always tuned in. I am. I am. I am. Thank you, my friend. Thank you, Dan. Appreciate you, man. Yeah, that's that's Jonathan Hutton. I look, uh, follow him. I got to get into some hoops. I, if I don't get into some hoops real quick, I don't know what I'm going to do. Follow Jonathan at Hutton Outkick. Hey, look, Purdue is going to be the number one team in college basketball based on resume. Will there be? I don't know. Purdue fans, or not Purdue fans, writers are idiots. All right. Kansas, look at what Tennessee did to Kansas. Those of you that question Rick Barnes, just stop it. I know he has to do what Ryan Tannehill has to do, which is win in the postseason for everybody to be happy. This Duke-Purdue game, I'm not even sure was that close. And this is on the heels, ladies and gentlemen, on the heels of Purdue beating the crap out of Gonzaga. I mean, they beat them bad. Here's the other deal. This is why you should listen to this show all the time for all of your sports take. I told you earlier, told you a couple weeks ago, hey, look, is North Carolina really good? Or are they a team that got hot, really hot last year, making tough shots? And because of what they have coming back, Baycott, Love, everybody, they become the number one team. What I saw was the latter, not the former. Not a really good team. A good enough team. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying they're a bad team. I'm saying I don't see this as one of those dominant teams. 
I see this as a nice team. I said it to you about three weeks ago. What happened? They got beat twice. They got beat twice out in Portland, and last time Alabama four overtimes, and now they get to come to Indiana, and they're going to get their comeuppance in Assembly Hall. Assembly Hall is going to be rocking. You want to watch, and we'll preview this game as we move forward in the week, you want to watch an incredible environment. You want to watch an environment where everybody will want to play that game Wednesday night, Bloomington, Indiana, North Carolina coming in, will be the game for you, period. couple football notes. Luke Fickle, head coach now, Wisconsin. My guy David Hookstead sent me a text. Wisconsin will dominate. Two things with Fickle. One, great coach. I agree with Mike Griffiths. Look, let's be honest. If you're going to go from Cincinnati, where he made the playoff, to Wisconsin, you're looking at the future. You're looking at a couple of things. Number one, your own salary. I guarantee you. He's doubling his money. Number two, NIL money. Look, here's the deal. In the great state of Indiana, Tom Allen is a wonderful guy, and he's out begging for NIL money. You go to Wisconsin, you got NIL money. This is a proud football school. Become a really good basketball school, don't get me wrong, but this is a proud football school. You know it's a football school when you hire the football coach, Barry Alvarez, as the athletic director, and then when he leaves, you hire another former football player. It's a football school. They are dying to get into the conversation with Ohio State and Michigan. They are not there yet. Right now, the Big Ten is old school. It's what, 70s, 80s, 60s, whatever. It's Bo against Woody. It's two teams. So you hire Fickle, a guy that took a Cincinnati program to the freaking playoffs. But you got to get on thick ankled. My friend Rob Lemley, producer at ESPN uh, for halftimes, great guy. Said, man, Iowa, Wisconsin, they ain't never going to do nothing in football. Too many thick ankle guys. Pretty funny. Got to get thin ankles with high calves. You want to know an athlete? High backside, high calves, thin ankles. Right here. That's right. I don't have any calves. But you know what? You ever see a thoroughbred? Thoroughbred have thick ankles? No. No. First thing you got to do when you go to Wisconsin is go back to when they used to have great wide receivers. Altoon, baby. They had all kind of guys. They don't have that lately. They got too many thick ankles, slow guys. We don't need slow guys. We need fast. We need fast. Everybody in football needs fast. Don't tell me you don't need fast. You need fast. So guess what? I'm all in on Luke Fickle. Lane Kiffin. Stays at Ole Miss. Good for Lane Kiffin. The only people that had it right was my friend Trey Wallace. I mean, if you are trying to follow football, the only people you can follow here are OutKick because, man, was that a goofy face, because we don't have any bias. We just tell you what in the Sam Henry's going on. And then we let you make your own decisions and you all lose your freaking minds. Indiana lost to Purdue. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if Indiana's going to fire the coach, but I know this. Purdue looked okay. Got a running back named Mockaby. Pretty good player. Quarterback that I told you if he started the season well, could be in the Heisman contention, uh, Aiden O'Connell. He didn't start the season well. They lost their first game, and he ended the season with a win at Indiana, but tragically, if you watched that game, you saw Aiden O'Connell balling on the sidelines. His brother passed away 
incredibly sad, and he heard the news coming out of the game uh, beating Indiana. Notre Dame is Notre Dame. They're all right. They're okay. Everybody's going to tell me they got the greatest coach in the world. Good for Notre Dame. Everybody's a great coach in college basketball, but Notre Dame, I like Freeman. I hope he does well. But they didn't have enough, and I'll tell you this. The situations that Caleb Williams got himself out of was absolutely remarkable. I don't mean a little bit remarkable. I mean absolutely remarkable. I mean insanely remarkable. That dude was spinning. He was moving. He was throwing. He was fantastic. And I think he won the Heisman. Now, we'll see what happens as we move forward. But I honestly think that that kid won the Heisman on Saturday night. I guess beating Notre Dame is still a big deal, I suppose. But, man, you got to pitch in for that kid. And, oh, by the way, I started another diet, but nobody cares. Uh, It looks like Auburn is going to hire Hugh Freeze. There is a saying in coaching. You ready for it? You know what it is, you people that listen to me. Get fired for anything except what? Losing. Hookers, cheating, cheating on your wife. Getting on a motorcycle, it does not matter. Violations, does not matter. Just don't cheat. Or excuse me, just don't lose. Period. If you lose, you got a problem. That's it. That's the only thing you can't get rehired for. Losing. We'll be right back. I got stock up. I got stock down. We'll be right. And I'm going to preview Monday Night Football tonight. Be right back. We'll be right back. Got to take a short break here. We are rolling with Don't At Me, and you don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. You know, I I really don't want to hear from anybody um, that's going to defend companies that exploit kids. I I just don't. I'm sorry. We opened the show with it. Um, I, you know, I just don't want to hear. But all right, let's go stock up and let's go stock down from what was and is and will continue to be a monster weekend in sports. Do you know the name Zach Eady? Zach Eady is a monster. He's the biggest dude in college basketball. But you know what about Zach Eady? Zach Eady would be a basketball player if he was six foot five, and that's rare for big guys. What do you mean by that, Dan? Well, let me tell you what I mean by that. There are a lot of big guys that could not play basketball if they weren't massive. All right? They, they could. Zach Eady plays at Purdue. All right, here's the deal. So Shaq. Shaq could not play basketball if Shaq were six foot five. He couldn't play. I mean, he had no skill whatsoever. There isn't anything about Shaq. Uh, he's big, and that's it. But Zach Eady was a pitcher. He's seven foot four, 280 pounds. He was a pitcher growing up. His parents made him play sports, different sports. So here's what he did this past week. Here's what he's done this entire year. 30 points against App State to start the year. 20 points in a tough win at home against a really good Marquette team. 
24 uh, as they blew out West Virginia, 23 in a blowout against frickin' Gonzaga, and then 21 and 12. Now, this kid for Purdue is fun to watch because he does things like he'll grab it off the rim and just dunk, and you're like, man, he didn't even have to jump. Purdue is the number one team in America. Purdue has the best resume. They've beaten Marquette. They've beaten West Virginia. They've beaten Gonzaga. They've beaten Duke. But the people that vote on college basketball are literally the dumbest people you've met. If you see somebody, oh, I don't know, a national named Goodman or Parrish or any of these guys, they're idiots. I've known them all. They don't know basketball. They don't know whether a basketball is stuffed or blown up. But having said that, uh, Purdue is the number one team in the country. The other team that's close is Houston. Cheating Calvin Sampson played against Cheating Rob Senderoff. Senderoff at uh, Kent State was Sampson's assistant when I was there that we had to fire because he was a cheat. He got a job at Kent, and they played each other. I don't know, 49-45, uh, Houston barely wins. If Purdue isn't the number one team in the country. The voters in college basketball remain the dumbest mother hubbards in the history of the world. There, I said it. I don't, look, best team I've seen, Indiana. I'm just telling you. Best resume, Purdue. That's what I've seen. Hate me all you like, hey, we played it. Shut up. All right. Our favorite college coach, Thumbs up, stock up, you know it, Shane Beamer. We're working to get Shane, Coach Beamer, on our show this week. I DM'd him yesterday, said, man, I need you back. He's been on the show. What did Coach Beamer do? Oh, I don't know. He went into Clemson, got down, and for a variety of reasons, one of which Shane Rattler got going in the second half, they whooped, not whooped, they beat Clemson. Punter was great. Not good. The punter was great. The, oh man, I hate to say this, but I like saying it. All you experts out there that tell me about all of these great quarterbacks, this is the greatest guy. That's the greatest guy. You're giving me a headache. DJ Ungle, whatever, Ungle, uh, Ungle is the next great guy after Trevor Lawrence, who had a nice game yesterday, but hasn't done squat. So Shane Beamer's defense holds Ungale. He shouldn't be playing anymore. They got to bench him for the other guy. But anyway, Ungale goes 8 for 29, 99 yards. Now, in the current scope of college football, I can throw for 99 yards. This guy hasn't been good all year. He has not. I don't care what anybody says. He's been bad. They had to get him out of the game against Syracuse. Guy came in, got it done. But I got to tell you, I got to tell you, if you're not going to get rid of him, I don't know what to tell you. Not get rid of, but bench him. Look, he's in commercials last year. His daddy's, everybody's, he's got all that crap, but he can't play. You guys always tell me, Dockage, you don't know football. I'm watching Trevor Lawrence, and I'm like, yeah, he's good. I'll tell you who else is next. I'm not buying Arch Manning. You guys can buy Arch Manning. I've seen enough clips of Arch Manning to know he's all right. I mean, I hate to say that about a high school kid, but that's what I say. He's all right. Quinn Ewer is good enough to get you fired. He is uh, the Jacob Eason 
of this year, next year, whenever the hell he comes out. But this Ungale, uh-uh, no. I'll tell you who the real star of the game was, a punter named Aiden Swanson. Aiden, uh, excuse me, I'm sorry, a, a punter named Kai Kroger. Kai Kroger is unbelievable. I'm telling you, unbelievable. I mean to tell you, this guy, seven punts, 53.7 yards, kept nailing him inside the five, nailing him inside the ten, nail him, nail him, nail him, five punts inside the five-yard line, the 10-yard line, the 20-yard line, five. And when they had to have it, all he did was drop a 61-yard punt. I rarely, if ever, am going to tell you that a punter was the MVP of the game. But mm. uh, here's a little deal on Shane Beamer's dad from an NFL friend of mine. Shane's dad made the best players at Virginia Tech. Any NFL people that went through there or drafted or signed any Virginia Tech player during that era knew uh, knew they were getting athletes, but also players that knew how to consistently play the game, consistently produced, had toughness, and all played on special teams. How about that? How about that? It's unbelievable. How good Shane Beamer is. He's been on our show. I'm working to get him on our show this week. Jim Banks tomorrow, by the way, congressman from the state of Indiana. We'll get the state of the state. We'll get all kind of different stuff. Let's continue. Terrell Owens, baby. T.O., thank you. All you wise acres out there that think you can just go around and be a jag. I got to be careful of my language. T.O., well, T.O. sets you straight. Let's show the video. Can we show the video from T.O. knocking this guy out? So this guy here was apparently causing a bunch of problems with folks in this CVS or Walgreens, whatever it was. T.O. said, step outside. They squared off. And, oh, down goes punk guy. Lights out. He dropped him. That's right. So T.O. had had enough. (laughs) This is epic. It is epic. I mean, people that sit there and film it are kind of you know, lousy people, but that's all right. That's what we do in our society. But T.O. knocked this guy out. Now, you got to give the guy credit. He got up, but the guy was being a jerk to people in a store, and Terrell Owens said, hey, man, enough. It escalated. They went outside. They squared off. Why would you want to fight Terrell Owens? Unless you're seven kinds of messed up, dr- drunk, high, or both. Why would you mess with Terrell Owens? But I got to tell you, I'm all in on it. Boom. Down goes fat guy. Down goes dumb guy. Down goes moron guy. I'm just saying. Down goes goof guy. He had to go. I'm sorry he had to go. Don't at me. Do not at me. My face is looking red today, and I don't like it. All right. Down Ryan Day. I'm trying, see, those of us that coach for a living oftentimes make fun of those that are on TV that try to coach for a living. Why? Guys like Billis or Hummel or whoever, if you didn't coach for a living, you don't know. 
You don't know the agony. All good announcers, everybody, good announcers, everybody. But if you didn't coach for a living, if you didn't feed your family based on winning or losing, you don't know. Because you don't have days, weeks, months, a year like what Ryan Day is having. You just don't know. Players, please. Players are over it the next time a pretty girl smiles at you or the next time a booster handles you a check. I'm telling you, it is literally that simple. But if you haven't played, you don't know. You don't know. All right, let's talk. Let's go back to Urban Meyer talking about Ryan Day right now before the game with Michigan this weekend. Urban was on our show a week ago. Let's go to hear from Urban talking to me about Ryan Day. And I know Ryan Day's your friend. You went 7-0. and He lost last year. I mean, he, you lose two in a row, you got a little problem. I certainly do. I mean, but that's that's part of that job. That's in, And I've got enough confidence as, you know, Ryan Day's not good. He's elite. What's his record? 30, whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, there's some, you know, he, he's – He's an elite football coach. When I, I hired him as an offense coordinator, and you know, I went to Gene Smith and the president, and I said, "This is, you know, this is the next head coach at Ohio State," and that's how strong I feel about him. But you know, this is a route. This is this is what it is. Yeah, man. Look, uh, Urban's son-in-law is on the staff, and I'm telling you. Let's go through this with Ryan Day. It's a way of life at Ohio State. Urban talked about that. And when you lose, man, I'm just telling you, it is horrendous. It is horrific. Like what it would happen with me is if you lost, so however you got to sleep, maybe sometime uh, you just watched film till you fell asleep. Maybe I would shoot a backo and maybe have 10 beers. I don't know. But when you fell asleep, all right, finally, whatever time, the second you wake up to go to the bathroom or something wakes you up in the middle of the night, it could be I go to bed at 11 or whatever, and at 12, something wakes you, you're up. At least I was. It's over. You're done. It hits you like you wake up, and then you're like, oh, crap. We lost. And now you got to deal with it. And this game, are you kidding me? Losing this game is a catastrophe. It is a life catastrophe. Now, you're going to say to me, wait a second. Uh, there's more to life than winning or losing a football game. And I'm going to say to you, you're absolutely right, except there isn't. I'm just telling you. It wasn't for me, and it almost killed me. My father always said, if you lose, it will kill you. I didn't lose a lot first five years or so. Lost enough early, but then we figured it out. But then I got everybody hurt, and I got real depression. I wasn't smart enough to go to a doctor and ask for meds. I couldn't sleep on the I could not sleep on a bed. I had to sleep on the floor. I couldn't get my head off the pillow if I slept in a bed. I'm telling you, Ryan Day, I feel bad for him. because you put, as Urban said, that is the deal. Now you've lost two years in a row, and no matter what you do. You've lost two years in a row. It's the reason why Michigan fans a couple years ago wanted Harbaugh out. But I'll give you the other side. Do you know how hard it is, was, for Urban Meyer and his staff to go 7-0 against Michigan? Think about that for a second. The work that was put in, the energy by the players, the effort in the summer, 
to go 7-0. You've just heard. You've just seen, Ohio State fans, what you had in Urban Meyer was incredibly special. May never see it again. Same thing in Florida. You may never see it again. Same thing at Utah. You may never see it again. I'm just telling you, Ryan Day is having the worst week ever. And Jim Harbaugh, I was driving with my wife. You know my wife, Hall of Fame coach, Hall of Fame player. And we're looking, we're going to church yesterday. I go, you know who's having the best day ever? He goes, yeah, Jim Harbaugh. Doesn't have to do a thing. Because the other side of it is that you wake up and no matter what happens in your day, you know you got that done and you don't have to sweat it any longer. It's unbelievable the difference for people winning, and it is unbelievable. Ryan Day had a bad day. And Ohio State fans, I can't help you, man, but if you don't appreciate Urban Meyer, you're clowns, you're idiots, you're fools. All right. Sean Taylor got murdered 15 years ago in a break-in at his house. He's from Miami. He was a terrific NFL player. So yesterday, the Washington Commanders did what is seemingly a nice thing. They put a memorial up to Sean Taylor, except what they really put up was a mannequin. What they really put up was an advertisement for all their apparel, whether it's Nike, Under Armour. Go ahead and let's show this. There's this big ceremony. And that's all you got. That's all you got. Like, look, I don't know what people want in this day and age. Maybe Washington thought they were being futuristic. I have no idea. But you know what? When you walk into a modern college football uh, practice facility or offices, you see this. You see a mannequin. You see a mannequin with their Nike gear or their Under Armour gear or their Adidas gear or whatever gear that they are doing, and that's what this is. This is a mannequin promoting gear. At least that's how it's looked at. Look, uh, Robert Griffin, Sean Taylor deserved a statue. I don't know whether he deserved a statue or not, and it's a nice gesture. But I got to tell you, the Washington Commanders can't get out of their own way. They thought, I'm sure, that they were doing something modern, something techno, you know, something really space age. It was stupid. It is stupid. Look, keep it up. Hope it works out. But why is there absolutely nobody, and I mean nobody, that's surprised that the Washington Commanders could screw this up? All right, last thing tonight, Monday Night Football. I'm going to give you something here. I'm going to take the Colts, but I got to tell you, I'm a big culture guy. I'm a huge culture guy. And man, oh man, the culture of the Steelers, even with a rookie quarterback, even in a down year, is 10 times tougher than the Colts. I'm just telling you, you buy that all in for a little bit with Jeff Saturday, all right? And then all of a sudden, because these are pros, you lost last week, and you really know better, and everybody inside the organization knows it's kind of the same team. Good defense, can't score on offense, nothing really different. It's going to be interesting because I believe, and people are telling me Kenny Pickett's a lot better than people are giving him credit for. I believe in culture. I believe that the Pittsburgh Steelers culture has dominated the Colts for as long as I've been around. I believe that this is going to be a much better game. Now, 
low scoring, high scoring. At some point, both teams in the NFL are going to have to start scoring some points. If the Colts can't get past 17, which is basically their average, they can't win this game. But I do believe in culture. I'm going to take the Colts tonight, but mark my words. The Colts don't like to play toughness. They'll play the Chiefs. Hey, they'll play Philadelphia. They'll play them pretty good because that defense is pretty good. But they don't like playing a tough culture. And a lot of times the toughness of a culture comes out at the end. Mark my words. Kenny Pickett probably have a pretty good night against a good defense. I'll take the Colts. I'll even give a couple. But I ain't going to be surprised even a little bit if the Colts get beat tonight. Not even a skosh, because culture matters late in the season. All right, what do we got for Wokado? This is unbelievable. The Biden story is Russian disinfo. Dozens of former Intel officials say, according to Jen Psaki, the former Biden head of Communications. CBS News had an independent review done on Hunter's laptop. They concluded they believe it's real. What a difference two years, uh, actually, two years and a month can make. I don't know why we just can't have people in office to tell the truth. I get you're trying to hide something from us because, well, it's your son. Who doesn't get that? But at some point, the American people are going to get blanked off by all that's going on. The misinformation, voting, uh, you feel like you don't have a chance in elections because of the way the voting is set up. You don't have to go get a freaking ID to go vote. How idiotic is this? I mean, we literally are going backwards. I've said it for years. We're going backwards as a country. We are. We can. We shouldn't. We should be advancing. We should be advancing. We don't advance. We're going backwards. Well, you know, so-and-so can't get an ID. Well, then you can't vote. It's that simple. Why is that hard? You can't get an ID? Really? Can't vote. You got to have an ID to get a pack of smokes. I'm telling you, the American people, you got to be careful here, man. American people, real people, are getting a little tired of it. Getting a little tired of unfair or ill, well, not unfair. Yes, unfair voting. Very tired of that. I hear that more and more. And I'm telling you right now, generally, I got a pretty good handle on what's coming down the pike here. Be very, very careful with this voting thing. And then, of course, the misinformation. Look, Biden's get rich off everything. Did you know that uh, What's-Your-Face Pelosi makes a million a month on a $214,000 annual salary? Now, how the hell did that come about? I don't know. Good investments. Great investments. These people have been living off the teat of the American people for years, and it's time to shut them down. Speaking of shut them down, I'm going to go back to what I started this show. I would argue, and I've had mothers tell me this, that the Kardashians and all their crap have sent girls back a lifetime. Look, I'm telling you, the Kardashians have been the single biggest dose of poison to our culture. Our teens, our youth, vanity is evil. Vanity and pride is evil. So now you've got this jackass of a company. You got this company, and I want to make sure I say it wrong. Bell and Sigua, Bell and Sigua, whatever they are. I got to tell you. So they come out with ads. They come out with ads. I, don't, I do it on purpose. I, when I don't like people, I ask who they are or I pr- mispronounce their name. 
So they come out with ads that have a little girl holding a doll that is in bondage. S&M. Why? Then they put one of their products on documents that were Ashcroft versus the Free Speech Coalition or Corporation or whatever the hell they were, where they struck down. They struck down kitty porn laws. And this is the company that the idiots with the Kardashians have, uh, have been a part of. And Kim Kardashian comes out with all this crap. She comes out with all this crap. I'm deeply sad and I'm shocked. No, 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 no. There ain't no deeply sad and shocked. If it's kitty porn, you tell it to get the hell out and I'm not going to be associated with you. What is so hard about that? Can somebody please explain this to me? What is so hard about saying, wait a second here, hold the phone. This company promoted child pornography. That's what you did. You sexualized children. I'm out. There is no long-winded speech. You got enough money, you freaking idiots. We've given you enough attention, you freaking idiots. You Kardashian dumbasses. Look, I get it. When things go awry, take off more clothes. That's the Kardashian way. Take off more clothes. Good for you. Yay, Rob. God dang, man, women and freaking kids and everybody have supported you through what? Through nothing. Zero, nothing. And you can't tell a company that is advertising pornography of children, exploitation of children, they are promoting a ruling in a court that struck down kitty porn laws, and you all can't just simply say, no, I'm out. Well, you know, I want to give them a chance. I'm really proud of them. Shut up. At what point in our society did this become a deal? At what point in our society did we say, hey, you know what? We got a line and even pedophilia doesn't cross that line in bad. What? If you're a civil, and look, and I think Tucker Carlson said it, even in prison, in jails. I remember this from Scared Straight 100 years ago. In jails, you know who gets murdered? You know who has the worst time? Child porn guy. Pedophiles. They have the worst time. Why? Because even in jail, they know that that is wrong. We don't know that that's wrong. We got these idiot Kardashian people walking around and they can't just say we're out. And we got the New York Times, the Washington Post, NBC, CBS, ABC, all of them aren't even reporting on it. Why is this becoming legitimized? Why is freaking drag shows in schools legitimized? I'll tell you why. Because nobody has the stones (coughs) to do what I'm doing right now. Well, you're offending the LGBTQ. Shut up. Not offending any of you. Leave kids alone. It's that simple. It's that simple. Leave kids the hell alone. Let kids be kids, you freaking idiots. You don't need a drag show where you're tucking bucks into school. You don't need advertising of children holding a thing with bondage, a teddy bear with bondage. 
the hell is wrong with you? And what is wrong with all you people that have a platform not saying nothing? Let's leave with Cooper Cup right here, if you don't mind. Cooper Cup actually stood up. Cooper Cup said, shame on you. Cooper Cup said, to hell with you people. There it is. To try to be a voice for our children who rely on the protection of the men and women that were entrusted the responsibility of nurturing them and raising them up. Please make yourself aware of the attack against our young ones by at whatever the hell company that is and ensure that they are held responsible. For those of us in positions to create change in the way that companies manipulate people and advertise evil, please stand up. You're damn right. This is evil. And you can tell I'm a little hot about it. You know, it's funny. I was at Thanksgiving and my family was making fun of me for being too sensitive about kids. I'm like, what are you talking about? They're like, well, you always cried at Bambi because Bambi lost her mother. You couldn't watch The Wizard of Oz because Dorothy was in trouble. It's true. Ran basketball camps, man. I got to tell you, I've never understood people saying, well, I hate kids. Well, I don't like kids. Shut up. It's unbelievable the world we live in where a company can go out of its way to promote and objectify, I'm sorry, to promote child pornography and objectify little kids. People are sick. Thanks for watching today. You YouTube chat, I didn't get there today. Uh, I am at the Slippery Noodle, downtown Indy today, as we celebrate Monday night football in Indianapolis tonight. It's the Colts, Steelers, it's a pregame party, noon to three. Join me. Dylan, great job. Ryan, fantastic. Haley, Aaron, you guys are the best. Our team and our show just keeps on growing, baby. Enjoy the rest of your day.